Thank you, Steve, and all of you for leading us in worship this morning. <clears throat> good to see you here every Sunday. It seems like I see some faces I haven't seen for a while. And it's good to see you, all of you here and good for you to be here. Um, I'm going to be in the office a couple of days this week like I always am, but I, it'll be different days. I'm usually here Tuesday and Wednesday. This week, my, this week and next week, my wife's having eye surgery. And so I'll be here uh, Monday and Thursday this week. And then the next week I'll be on Wednesday and Thursday. So um, this is a good thing. I, she can't see to drive, and I have to drive everywhere she goes. So this is a good thing for me. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, my text today is found in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Beginning with verse 21. And I will tell you as we begin that this is one of my favorite passages in all the Scripture. I think we have those particular passages that speak to us each individually. And this is one of those that speaks very, very much to me and, and deep calls to deep with, uh, with this passage for me because of my experiences in prayer, my experiences in trying to approach God with things that are important to me. So I hope it can be meaningful to you as we look at it today. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, and he answered her, her not to them, but he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Bow with me in prayer, please. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for this, uh, this story. I pray as we look into your word and think about this story today that you would speak to our hearts by your spirit. We claim your promise that you'll take the words of your text and speak to our hearts just as we have need. And I pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you look at the, the, the background, if, you've ever, if you have ever, if you've ever had any problem with prayer, if you've ever felt the silence of God when you tried to pray, if you've ever felt rejected as you tried to pray or rebuked in some way as you tried to pray, then this passage is for you. And keep that in your mind as we look at it. As we look at this particular chapter, this 15th chapter of Matthew, Matthew, of course, Matthew is writing to the religious people. He's, he's writing to the Jewish people. Luke, of course, wrote to the Gentiles and Mark kind of, hurried through, you know, just give me the facts in his gospel. And then John, written much later, wrote to a church that was really in the midst of persecution. But Matthew was writing to the religious people. And it's really interesting as we look at this particular situation, because in chapter 15, it begins with the fact that they had, they had failed to keep the word of God in order to keep their traditions. Their traditions were more important to them than the word of God. 
And Jesus spoke to him about that, if you've got your Bible there, in verse 7. He said, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You worship me in vain. They, their teachings are merely human rules. And then when Peter asked him to explain this to, to him down in verse 15, he said to them, verse 16, um, uh, verse 17, don't you see whatever comes out of your heart is what's really important. And then verse 18, he says, out of a person's mouth come, the, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come these evil things. And then it's as if he says to them, I want to show you what a heart of faith is like. I want to show you what a heart of faith is. And when he says this about a heart of faith, he, he uses an example about a Canaanite woman. As a matter of fact, he uses this example about a woman who's a double outsider. She's a woman in the first place. And she's a Canaanite woman. She's a Gentile woman. And it's as if he says, I could, I could show you this outsider who's, who's, who's more right in terms of their faith than you insiders are. And it's a message we who are insiders all need to hear. And we need to try to grab, grasp the lesson that God has for us in, in this particular passage. And it is indeed a meaningful passage. Uh, using, I have seen many times when some outsider had more faith than some of us that were insiders. And, you know, we tend to get jaded sometimes. We, we, we've been through some things. We've been through some experiences. We've, we've prayed sometimes that didn't get what we wanted. And so we don't, we have a hard time having faith. And sometimes an outsider comes in and has more faith than we do. And that's just exactly what happened. Now, she was a Gentile. And yet he uses her as an example for those who are truly insiders. And I'm, it's interesting to me what some of the, some of the commentators said about this particular passage. Uh, M.E. Boring, who's a very conservative uh, uh, pastor and teacher, said, God is not enslaved to any theology. Emil Brunner, the great theologian. Jesus cannot be confined by any theology. But I like what Wesley said. Wesley said, God is more concerned with the condition of our heart than he is with the perfection of our theology. Some of my friends that are theology professors won't appreciate me saying this. Theology is important. And uh, they're sort of, in the scripture, we have the, the mind uh, the head, if you please, and the heart. And yes, the scripture says our, our head is to be right with God. That's the reason we spend time teaching the Bible. That's the reason we have Bible study. That's the reason we have Sunday school. It's important for us to spend time uh, in the Bible. You know, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, put off the old person, put on the new person, and be renewed in your mind. Be renewed in your mind. So that you may prove what is, what is God's will for you. So the mind is important. But the heart is also important. And what we need to understand is we may feel like we are absolutely right. That's what these people felt. We may feel like we're absolutely right in our head. We may feel like our theology is absolutely correct. We, uh, they, they felt it was so correct they even cr tried to correct Jesus. And so, you know, we may feel our theology is correct when our heart is not right. 
And it's like he said, I want to show you a, a heart. And this woman certainly had a large heart. And I think we want to be people with big hearts. I think as Christians in our world, we want to be people with big hearts. The last thing we need is a bunch of Christians with tiny hearts. And uh, it's important for us to understand this. So this outsider, by the way, verse 22 says, Behold, it's like uh, that's left out of my translation altogether. I don't know about your translation that you're using, but it's left out of my translation altogether. This, this Greek word, behold, or, or look, look, here is a Canaanite woman that comes, and he's going to use her as an example. Now, she comes, and she's crying out. She's crying out. I mean, this is a heartfelt cry that comes from her. I was reminded of Hannah in, uh, in the first chapter of 1 Samuel when Hannah was praying that God would give her a child, if you remember. And she was, she was bumbling before God and crying out before God. And Eli the priest thought she was drunk. You remember that? He came up to her and said, you don't have to be drunk. She said, I'm not drunk. I am crying out out of the, out of the travail of my soul. And this, is, this woman was coming, crying out, uh, crying out to them. And she used Messianic language. She was a Gentile. She wasn't a Jew, she wasn't of the family of God, but perhaps she was a worshiper of God. They had these people that would, would come and worship with them that never had really joined the family. And uh, perhaps she was a worshiper of God. I do not know, but I know she used Messianic language. The son of David, have mercy on me. Three times in the passage, she calls him Lord. And so she understands who he is. And she understands the circumstances that are there. Now she's crying out. Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Her problem, her daughter's problem, was a spiritual problem. We don't know what the problem was, but we know it's a spiritual problem. She was, she was demon-possessed and suffering from her demon possession. I've told you before, I'll tell you again, uh, I, I take evil very seriously. In our day, in our time, I take evil very seriously. Having been a missionary in Mexico and seeing the black magic and witches and all that sort of thing that goes on in, in third world countries, I, I'm, I'm very much aware of the power of evil. And I started my ministry in Berkeley, California, uh, in, in Richmond, California, just north of Berkeley, California, in the late 60s. I know what it was to minister in a, in a drug culture. I know what it was to minister when demonology was really at its highest level. And I want you to tell you, I take evil seriously. She's saying, she said, Lord, I'm coming to you. My daughter's problem is not a physical problem. My daughter's problem is a spiritual problem. And she's suffering. Maybe it was addiction. We have no idea what it was. Doesn't, doesn't tell us what it was. But she had a serious problem. And she came to Jesus with the problem. Now she's crying out. And verse 23 says, she's crying out to him. And what does she get? And I want, you, I want you to see the sequence of how Jesus reacts to her. And the first part is silence. Jesus did not answer a word. The silence. Thomas Carlyle talks about silence like this. He says, a silence that comes from the depths of, of, of all eternity. Silence. And if you have ever prayed seriously to God about something, something that, that you felt very deeply and you prayed seriously to God about that and all you heard was silence. You didn't hear that answer that you wanted and something. Then you can identify how she felt at this point. That was the first reaction was silence. And then 
uh, the disciples said, came to him. I'm, t- I'm reading verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. That's dynamic. I talked to you about with Zacchaeus and, and the blind man. I've talked to you about a couple of sermons before. Jesus was there. She was not about to pass up the opportunity to deal with him while he was there. She knew he had the power to help her daughter, and she was not about to miss this opportunity. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. There is, a, there is a personal God who comes to us personally, and we need to respond to him when he's there, when that personal response comes. She wasn't about to miss this. And I'm, I'm reminded of, of Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, where it says, Ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. For those that ask and keep on seeking, they receive. Seek and keep on seeking, they find. Knock and keep on knocking, the doors open to them. And then that story in, in the 11th chapter of Luke, where, where the guy went over at night, in the middle of the night, knocked on the door of his neighbor, said, I've got people that come to visit me and I need bread. Get up and give me some bread. Go away, leave me alone. I don't want to be bothered here in the middle of the night. Listen, I'm not leaving here till I get bread. You know, he kept knocking. And he got the bread. Or the 18th chapter of Luke, the story about the woman that, that came to a judge, over and over again came to a judge. And we realize the importance of this persistence in the prayer. She kept crying out. In the silence, she kept crying out and kept crying out in the silence that came. And then he answered. And in verse 24, he answered. And his answer was negative. I came only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now Jesus' mission really was to the people of Israel, but Jesus often uh, in the Gospels reached out to those Gentiles who came to him in faith, often did. But his mission was to the Gentiles. Now before he left, he gave us as disciples the mission to reach all the peoples of all the world. And that's our mission, which is a little different from his. But what he says to her is, I'm sorry, you're not one of the chosen ones. So all she got was silence. And then she got, you're not one of the chosen ones. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm moved by her response here in verse 25. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I don't know about you, but I know about myself. I know I've been in situations where I felt that I needed an answer from the Lord and got no answer and maybe negative things happen. And I want to cry out, Lord, why don't you help me? Why don't you help me? What in the world's going on? Why don't you care? But that's not the way she responded. She came and just knelt down in earnest humility and said, Lord, help me. I want you to know this morning, folks, I don't know your situation. I don't have to know your situation. But I'm telling you, one prayer that I believe God will never deny is, Lord, help me. Earnest humility, she comes. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. And then he replied harshly. You see the progression? Silence, negative answer. And now a harsh answer. And so he said, verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. 
Now the Jews called Gentiles dogs. But let me tell you, in that part of the world in that, at that day, and in that part of the world today, calling somebody a dog is not a nice thing. It's one of the worst things you can say is to call him a dog. And so when she got an answer from him, it was, it was a negative answer. Not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. And with an unquenchable faith in that, in that moment, her response is beautiful. Lord, I'll take the crumbs that fall from the table just like the dogs do. I'll take the, the crumbs that fall from the table just like the dogs do. And Jesus, I, in my mind, I, I believe Jesus must have smiled. I believe he must have smiled. And he said to her, you have great faith. This is the final response. It's a positive response to her faith. You have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. Even in the depths of that, she had a certain sunny heartedness that came through. Now I want to talk with you in the minutes we have left. I want to talk with you about the qualities of her prayer. And I don't ask you this very often, but if you take notes, you might want to jot down some words right down. You might just want to jot down some words. The first word would be faith. She came, number one, believing that Jesus could help her and make a difference. She believed Jesus could help her make a difference. And not only did she believe that Jesus could help her make a difference, she believed Jesus was good and Jesus wanted to help her and make a difference. She believed that. She believed in the goodness of Jesus. And she believed in the power of Jesus, that he could make a difference. Faith. That's where it all begins. Faith. The second word is persistence. She was persistent. She kept crying out. She was not about to miss this opportunity. She kept crying out. I like what, what uh, Barclay wrote about this uh, particular. She said, and then he said, an indomitable persistence springing from an unconquerable hope. A persistence that was just, and I've already given you some of those quotations from the scripture that say that he does, he does answer our persistence. Silence, she, she keeps crying out. And then, and then a negative response, Lord help me. And then a harsh response, I'll take the crumbs, Lord. I'll take the crumbs. Always persistent. Hang in there. The third word is desperation. Because there's a sense of desperation here. You know, it's as if she says, I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. You're the highest authority. I can't go over your head. Why would I go to someone with less authority? I got nowhere else to go, Lord. I was reminded of a movie uh, that I saw years ago called uh, An Officer and a Gentleman. 
And that's not a great movie. You don't need to go see it or don't tell anybody that I affirmed the movie for you, okay? But I do want to tell you that there was something in there that appealed to me because this guy joined the Navy and he wanted to be a, a pilot and went through boot camp. And going through boot camp, he had a Marine DI. And I couldn't help but think about when I went through uh, officer school, uh, officer candidate school, I, the, the DIs that I had to work with in officer candidate school. And here's, here's what they do, folks. They do everything they can to get you to quit. They got, they got what they call a DOR, which is a drop-on request form. And that's a form. And if you'll sign that form, then you get out and everything's fine. You got to serve a couple of years in the Marine Corps, but, but you're not going not gonna to have any of the problems that you have in OCS anymore and that sort of thing, a DOR. And I'm telling you, they do everything they can everything they can to get you to sign that thing. And uh, I, I remember the first time that I, we did a five mile run through the, through the woods and we came in and we started out with 40 uh, guys and, and only nine of us finished that run. Uh, everybody else dropped out along the way. First time that we'd done it. Everybody else dropped out, nine of us finished. We thought they'd give us a pat on the back, tell us how good we were or something. No, what they did is they'd get down and do push-ups till the rest of them get here. Now, you may know it or not, but that's a Marine Corps. At least one person out here knows what I'm talking about. But that's a Marine Corps. You do push-ups till the rest of them get here. And these DIs are walking around with these DOR slips while we're doing push-ups and sliding that push-up, right, that slip right under our nose. Doing push-ups. You know, all you got to do is sign this form. You get out of this, you know. They do everything they can to get you to get out. And uh, in that movie... This DI was trying to get him, this guy, to quit. I mean, he did all kinds of stuff, kept him over the weekend, and, and you know, it made him march while he was uh, running, uh, showering him with water and uh, just a lot of other negative stuff he was doing. And finally, he said to this, this guy, he says, he says, why don't you quit? Why don't you quit? And the guy says, I got nowhere else to go. And the DI walked away. This is this sense of desperation. Lord, I, I'm not going to go somewhere else. Where else can I go? I've got to stay with you. I've got to keep asking you. I've got to keep praying with you. You are the highest authority. I've got nowhere else to go. That sense of desperation can be very meaningful in a time of prayer. And the next word is determination. Determination. She was determined not to pass this opportunity. She was determined to, to, to do everything she possibly could to get the Lord to respond to her and help. Regardless of what happened, she was determined to get the word to her. I had a couple of cases in my, in my ministry. 50 years in the ministry, I had two cases. So I, this is not something that happens very often. You'll, get, you'll understand that. Not something that happens very often. One case, a uh, guy was a rancher, and he was in his pickup, and he was hauling some cattle uh, in a trailer behind him, some kind of terrible wreck. And out of that wreck, the, uh, the cab of that truck rolled over his head. And they said he was going to die. Called in his family. When I got to the hospital, his mother was there. And his mother said, he is not going to die. We are praying. He is not going to die. I looked at her, felt that, that uh, strong 
Uh, maybe a bit of stubbornness there. You know, I, I, I wouldn't know any women that are stubborn, you know. But maybe a bit of stubbornness there. But strength, pure strength. He is not going to die. He is not going to die. God is not going to let him die. He is not going to let him die. That guy's still alive today. That happened some 40 years ago. That guy's still alive today. Another case I had was a woman who had been, um, uh, she'd been single for a long time, and a man's uh, spouse died, and about a year and a half after that, they got together, and, and they were married. And she found this joy of a married life that she had missed uh, for a long time in her life. And then he had a heart attack, had a heart attack in Sunday school one morning. And uh, the time came when about a week later they were going to pull the plug on him. Said he wasn't going to live, take him off life support, and they were going to pull the plug on him. And I was there with a family in the hospital, and she sat there and she said, he is not going to die. He is not going to die. God did not give me this husband for him to die. He is not going to die. He is not going to die. This determination that was so, so powerful in that, in that, that instant and in that moment. And they pulled a plug, and that man lived for 12 more years. They took a trip to the Holy Land, took a trip to Canada. The spirit of determination. After the service today, I told the same two stories in the early service. I had two different people, two different people come up to me after service and say, something like that has happened to me. I've experienced that in the same way. That sense of determination. God is not going to let me down. I believe this is what I believe this is what this lady was saying. God is not going to let me down. The next word is passion. She was full of passion. Have you ever prayed for your kids? Your kids ever had a problem you prayed for them? And for you young families, I got news for you. When they're 50 years old, you'll still be praying for them. I'll guarantee you. You pray for your kids, particularly when they get into trouble and some kind of she's praying for for her daughter, and she's passionate. The Bible shows every time someone was really passionate about prayer, God responded to that. The passion. I thought about Moses after they built a calf down there. You remember? They built a calf, and he destroyed the calf and said, you've got a great sin, went back up to talk to God on the mountain. God said, just get out of the way. I'm going to destroy all these people. Just get out of the way. I'm going to destroy all these people and start over with you anew again. And Moses prayed and said, no, you can't do that. You're God. You can't do that. And, 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 and by the way, you need to forgive them. And if you don't forgive them, even if it takes that you take my name out of the book of life, Exodus 32, 32, even if you must take my name out of the book of life, don't, don't destroy them. Passion. Praying with passion. And the last word is humility. I'm moved with her humility. You know, you're not one of the chosen ones. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Help me. I don't know how many of you may have prayed, Lord, help me. 
But I'd be willing to guess that there are a lot of people here that prayed, Lord, help me, and Lord, help you in some way or another. The Lord responded to that, and the Lord helped me. I'll tell you the truth. I love this story because it speaks to me about my experience of prayer. And I'm shamed. I'm shamed by the faith of this woman. I think when Matthew placed this event in this place in his gospel, he, I think Matthew had felt shamed because Matthew was one of those disciples that said, send her away. She keeps yelling, send her away. I think Matthew had felt shamed. And when that conversation came up about the heart, Matthew put it there so that those insiders would sense that kind of shame. Yes, prayer is often a struggle. It is. Sometimes it's a struggle between good and bad, God and the devil, like with Job. But most of the time when we struggle in prayer, it's because of something within us. We're not really struggling with God. We're struggling with something within us. Maybe something in us that's not right. Some sin, some bad relationship with somebody, something within us that's not right. Something that we've not been obedient to God about, something within us that's not right. Sometimes the struggle is because we don't have any faith. Like when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, there was that boy down there and, and his disciples couldn't heal the boy. And, and uh, the father came to him and said, if you can, help me. And Jesus said, what do you mean, if I can? The question's not if I can. The question is, can you believe? And he said, I believe. Help me to believe more. I believe. Help me to believe more. And sometimes the struggle is about surrender, like it was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will but thy will be done. Yes, sometimes there's a struggle. In this case, it was a worshipful struggle. A worshipful struggle. And that makes a huge difference. The next time, the next time you have a problem with prayer, the next time you have a struggle with God in prayer, Read this story again. Read this story again. Let's pray. We love you, Father, and we're so thankful, thankful for your love, and we're thankful that you're good. And God, we're thankful that you respond to our prayer of faith. Oh, God, give us this kind of faith. Give us this kind of praying power. Help us to grow to this point. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. Let's stand with me. Will you please stand? We're going to have a hymn of invitation. And I think there's some people here that may need to make a decision. I want to call upon you to make a decision to come forward. Um, I'm here to talk to you, and I'll be glad to talk to you in whatever way that I need to visit with you. But uh, 
You may not need to talk to me. You may need to come and sit on these front pews and pray and talk to God or kneel on these steps or kneel down here and pray and talk to God, something. But it's important for us to have a time, opportunity to respond. That's what this is for, what we see. Don't say no to God. If God is leading you, then you come. You come.